<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Balance Black Girl. My name is Les. I'm your host, and it is Book Club March on the podcast right now. So each week, we're talking to Black authors on their book release dates to add some inspiration to your reading list. Last week, we talked to Clarkisha Kent about her new memoir, Fat Off, Fat On. And this week, we're joined by my friend Chrissy King, author of The Body Liberation Project, which is now available. Actually, it's available today because this episode is being released on the book launch date. Chrissy is a writer, speaker, former strength coach, and educator with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She empowers individuals to stop shrinking, start taking up space, and use their energy to create their specific magic in the world. Chrissy merges her passion for social justice with her passion for fitness to inspire members of the wellness industry to create spaces that allow individuals from all backgrounds to feel seen, welcome, affirmed, and celebrated. So this will be Chrissy's third time on the podcast. I always love having her and today's conversation is no exception. We talk about what body liberation is and how we can work towards it individually and collectively. We also talk about reading and writing as an act of self-care. So let's welcome Chrissy back to the podcast. Chrissy, welcome back to the show. It is always a pleasure to have you. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I feel so honored to be back again. This is such a treat. Yes, it's a treat for me. So for our listeners who may be new to the Balanced Black Girl universe, you may not know that Chrissy is a really big part of the start of the show because Chrissy was my very first guest ever. First person I ever interviewed, first person I ever featured on the podcast. Also one of the first people that I told about the podcast because I don't know if it was like the spirit of Beyonce's self-titled, but when I was working (laughs) on the podcast, I didn't like announce it or tell people or build anticipation. I just like dropped it. So I didn't really tell people when I was working on it. So Chrissy was like one of the first people I told, first people that I featured. And so it always feels like a nice little homecoming to have you back. Oh, thank you. I still... Every time I think about the fact that I was your first guest, it feels like a lifetime ago. And also it feels like it was just yesterday at the same time. Right. I mean, (laughs) it's been kind of both because, I mean, just talking about everything that's happened between your episodes, when you first came on the show, it was the fall of 2018. I believe that year you had left your full-time job and you were ramping up more in fitness, ramping up more in writing, 
fast forward to the last time you were here in 2021, I think you'd just gotten your book deal. And you had talked to us a little bit about that process of really how you manifested that. And now here we are in 2023 and the book is here. Oh my gosh, that is so wild. You're right. Every that is, I have goosebumps thinking about that. But yes, everything you just said is so accurate. And wow, yeah, this is like full circle. Oh my it gosh, is. this is so great. I'm, I'm just honored that we're here and we get to like be a part of all of these amazing milestones for you. Oh, thank and thank you for continuing to support me along the way. This is amazing. Oh my goodness, of course. Well, first of all, I have to congratulate you because today, when the episode is coming out, is your book launch day. It is. It's my birthday. Thank you. It's my book birthday. And I am so excited. It feels like, you know, with a book and publishing is such a long time coming. So for it to actually be here today, I'm just so excited. And I'm very like thrilled for it to be in the world. Yeah. I, it feels absolutely. very surreal. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is something that's been such a long time coming and to see this beautiful labor of love that you've been pouring into for so long out in the world has to be an amazing feeling. It is. It's so, it's, it's amazing. I'm so excited for it. We got to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. Like literally I feel like there's just, there's just like so many exciting things happening. And so I'm just trying to like sit with it all, be present, like enjoy mm -hmm. it, be yes. present and like just really savor the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just the best the best way to to go about it. So, I'd love to get more into the book and into a lot of what you share in this book, The Body Liberation Project. First, I just want to say I appreciate how open and vulnerable you were in sharing so many elements of your own story in this book because that is not easy to do, especially for something that is really I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but our relationships with our bodies and how we feel about our bodies and how our bodies move through the world is a really complex topic. And we all have had really complex experiences with that. So you sharing your experiences to kind of welcome us into this story that you're sharing and, and these concepts that you're kind of helping us connect the dots with, it was really, really important. And one of the things that really stuck out to me as you were talking about your experiences with body image is how you started fixating on it at a young age, which is equal parts, I think, heartbreaking and also relatable because I think for so many people, especially women, we become very aware of our bodies at a young age. And one of the things that you said in the book was that you didn't necessarily have comments from family members or people about your body or about weight but you were still able to fixate on those things. And even for a lot of people, I think they probably do also get comments at a young age, which then also perpetuates a cycle. But even if you don't, I think it just goes to show how aware we are and how pervasive the messaging is around bodies and the narrow views of what have been acceptable for bodies are and how perceptive especially children are for that why do you think that is? Why do you think that we're able to pick up on these these messages, even if they aren't explicitly stated to us? Yes. And you said so many things that are so important because I think for a lot of people listening to this, they probably did. There's a, a high likelihood that they do, did grow up in households where people commented on their bodies very young or they heard parents talking about their own diet or weight issues. And so that's like an easy way to pick up on it. I don't have memories of that. Um, but I do have like at a very early age, 
feeling like there was something wrong with my body. And I think there was a combination of things. It was environmental. You know, I talk about in the book that I went to a private school. There was only like three black kids there, my brother and my sister. And so, you know, I was also like five, eight in the third grades. I was surrounded by, I just looked othered all the time. I looked much taller, much bigger. I did, I wasn't, blonde and I, I was black. And so I think I was really hyper aware of the the way I was different at a very early age. I think that played a role in it. Um, but a lot of studies show that like kids as young as six to eight are already thinking about their bodies and thinking about losing weight, thinking about wanting to be skinny. And I think it's just, unfortunately, we, it's just everywhere. I, I really say, I often say like white supremacy is the air we breathe and and also believe that the way that we talk about bodies, especially the bodies of women, is almost the same. It is like very common discussion to talk about weight, to talk about dieting. It's like it's like almost like small talk, right? Like you just hear it everywhere. And so even for young kids, I think, you know, especially with the age of the internet, kids are like on the internet, they're on TikTok, they're on social media at very young ages. And that marketing is everywhere. And there was recently a TikTok, I don't know if you saw this last, but it's like this like little two-year-old girl and she's like talking to her parent about how she doesn't want to be a fat adult when she grows up. Yes. She wants, did you see that? Yes. She wants to be a skinny adult. And then the mom is like, well, who's a fat adult? And she like gives her the shady look, which I'm going to say the look was really funny because she's two. And I'm like, is she like, she's an old soul in a two-year-old's body. But what I really took away from that video is that someone that appears to be like, yeah, two or three years old is already saying that she doesn't want to be in a larger body when she gets older. And so I just think that messaging that we see and that we are submersed in is everywhere. And unfortunately, none of us can escape that even at a very young age. That's so true. Honestly, that was the first thing that I thought of when I saw that video. And I know a lot of the reactions to it have been like, funny, your kids have no filter. But the first thing I thought of is why why does this little girl already think that being in a larger body is bad? And it's already something that she doesn't want. How does she even know what that means? Exactly. Like how does a two-year-old have that idea in their mind already? And yes, a lot of the commentary around it was funny because yes, like kids have no filter. All those all those things are true. Yeah. But yeah, it goes back to the reality of if this is a conversation that a two-year-old's having, where is that child going to be when they're 10 years old or 18 years old or 20 years old. It's, you know, it's really interesting because I think in turn, and we'll probably get into this conversation a little bit more, but when we think about body positivity, especially over the last couple of years, it's become really popular, really commercialized and trendy almost, right? Mm -hmm. But when we really step back, when we have honest conversations about it, Speaking of like TikTok, like then I see the popularization of like Ozempic and buckle fat removal, like all these trends. And it's like, well, how much of how much is the body positivity space really moving us forward towards body acceptance and body liberation? And how much of it is just has unfortunately just become very commercialized and trendy? Absolutely. I feel like things are just being invented to try to make us insecure. But I didn't know what buckle fat was. Until I did not know that until yes, everyone started recently. getting it removed. I'm like, I'm like, what are we removing? <laughs> <laughs> what? Right. I'm like, we're just making up things to be insecure about at this point. Because what does that even mean? I exactly. And I think though that is also what's so insidious about diet culture is that when we as a society are trying to move forward and and like change the narratives that we have about our bodies, we have to always remember, or I always always remind people that like the diet industry, although like buckle fat move on, even that's probably not, that's like the beauty industry, I guess, but all of the industries, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Just the diet industry alone is a $72 billion industry. So it's like they, the job of the diet industry is to continue 
continuously convince us that there is something wrong with us because then we will keep spending more money to fix those things, right? So there's always going to be a new trend. There's always going to be a new thing that we need to do because that's how they keep us trapped or how, that's how they desire to keep us trapped. Yeah, absolutely. Can we, you mentioned diet culture just now. Can we talk a little bit more about what diet culture is and what it entails? Because I think a lot of us are probably still champions of diet culture in a lot of ways and participate, but don't fully even understand that that's what we're doing. Absolutely. So we're talking about diet culture. We're, we're basically talking about a system of beliefs that promotes thinness as the ideal or thinness as the picture of health. Mm-hmm. The idea that living in a thinner body is healthier, that it's better, that it's more attractive. When we're thinking about diet culture, it also demonizes food, rest- you know, encourages us to restrict large portions of our like food preferences or just, like to completely not eat certain foods. Um, it also encourages like over exercising for the purpose of like shrinking our bodies, making ourselves smaller. Diet culture is really expansive. And, you know, talking about what you just said about not realizing sometimes how we're participating, I think this whole culture of health and wellness in general can really lean into diet culture. This idea that I'm doing these things because I want to be healthy or I'm eliminating certain things from my diet because in the name of health and this whole culture of even orthorexia, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like this intense, like focus on healthiness as like a lifestyle is really just like diet culture, right? And this idea that I'm doing this because I'm caring about myself and really so much of it is rooted really in this desire to keep our bodies looking a certain way. Oh, 100%. And I think it can also be a desire to have control over something if we feel like we don't have control elsewhere. 100%. I talk about that in in the book, in fact, because I think for a lot of us, when we're feeling out of control in some area of our lives, it's really easy to struggle with body image and or desire to, to to go on a diet or desire to lose weight because that feels like something that we can control. Mm-hmm. And I can say for myself, the times I've struggled the most with diet culture or the most with like yo-yo dieting is when there was some other big thing happening in my life that I wasn't actually ready to address yet. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to address how I look. I can control that. I know what to do to fix that. And that feels easier than doing like healing work and, and the things I actually probably need to be addressing. And so yes, our bodies become something that we can control and maintain. I can relate to that so much in my own experiences when I have definitely had unhealthy relationships with food and exercise. During that season, it was 100% just because I hated my job and I was having a hard time finding a new one. And so I just was trying to control every other variable of my life outside of work. And so like fitness and what I ate happened to be the thing when really I I just needed a new job. (laughs) And when I got a new job, I calmed down. You're like, oh, okay, this is fine. And I mean, I think it's also super common, like after going through a breakup, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I I talk about this a little bit in the book too, this idea of a revenge body, but I think it's even more so than that. It's this like, I am feeling out of sorts emotionally about going through a really challenging time in terms of a relationship or a breakup. And it's, and also like it's celebrated as like, I'm taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm doing, I'm on a self care, self healing journey. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise better. And those things by themselves aren't inherently 
inherently bad. Exercising isn't bad. I'm never going to say that. Eating in a way that nourishes your body isn't bad, but most of the time it's rooted in this desire to change the way we look. And that is going to somehow heal the pain we're feeling from the relationship or make us feel external validation versus like, oh, I actually need to sit with these really hard feelings of feeling heartbroken or feeling like I've been wronged or been through this traumatic situation. Oh, 100%. It's so true. I think we tend to take a lot of things out on our bodies that have nothing to do with our bodies. Yes, that is that is so true. And it's, it's I think it's part of our shared humanity, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but I, I think that we've all experienced that at some point. And so it's definitely part of our humanity, but also it's like, when I'm feeling those things or when I'm like in that place, I always am also like to remind myself of like how incredible my body is and like how much it's gotten me through. And that when I'm thinking about how am I treating myself with care and love is really reminding myself like, what is my body actually asking for? What does my body actually need? Not those automatic things that, you know, my mind wants to tell me it needs. It's like, how can I actually be kind to my body? How can I actually be compassionate? How can I actually show it the things that it truly desires, not the things that I think I should do? Yes, yes. Oh, that's such a good question that I think we can all reflect on at at different points, especially if we're maybe not feeling as good in our bodies or we're having a hard time listening to our bodies. Because I think that's often what it is, is that we're unable to listen to our bodies. Yeah. And I think we, I, I totally agree. And I also think you know, another unfortunate side effect of diet culture is that it's told us that we can't trust our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so we've lost touch with like, even I, I remember when I was like really deep in the throes of diet culture, like I literally ate based on what someone told me to eat. Yeah. It had nothing to do with what I liked. It had nothing to do with what I thought my body needed. It was like someone, someone else tell me what's the right thing to do to look the way I want to look. And I'm going to eat that regardless. And I remember spending like years of my life eating food that I actually hated. Like I remember I had this, um, she wasn't even a nutritionist. She was like a trainer that gave out nutrition plans, which completely legal by the way, but (laughs) she gave me this nutrition plan and I was like supposed to eat the same dinner literally for like the entire month. And it was like one of the things I ate for dinner after my workout was white fish, which I hate. And, but it was, had to be like plain, like salt, pepper, and like, you know, very, very generic. And I was supposed to eat broccoli and white rice And here's the real kicker. I was supposed to eat a tablespoon of honey. Don't even know why I was supposed to eat this. Like no explanation. And I didn't ask. I was just like, Mm -hmm. yes, make me skinny. I'll do Mm -hmm. whatever. And the reality is I hated this meal to the fact, to the point that like it almost made me want to throw up every night when I thought about what I had to eat for dinner, but I did it religiously. And so I say a lot to say is that when we are looking to other people for the answers all the time, especially as it pertains to our bodies, we lose that self-trust and that intuition about what our bodies are capable of for one, but also how to even know what we want and what we desire and like how to treat ourselves. We like just lose that intuitive ability to trust ourselves. Yeah, we do. And we miss out on so much, whether that's missing out on a meal that you would actually enjoy or social interactions because you're nervous about what to eat or what's going to be there. I know I've definitely been in that situation before. And I think about all the things that I probably missed out on or didn't fully enjoy because I was worried about the workout the next day or or what food to eat. And it's when you reflect back on it, it's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You want to just live and do what you enjoy and experience what you enjoy. 
Oh my gosh, I have stories for days, less of all the similar to you of all the things that I skipped out on or I missed out mm-hmm. on or the anxiety I had because I was worried about those things. And I think too, another part of diet culture is this like belief system that food is fuel, right? Like we hear mm-hmm. that all the time in, in the toxic fitness culture. And of course, food is fuel, yes, because it fuels our bodies. But like food is so much more than that, right? Food is like how we share and express our love. Food is experiences. Food is a part of our culture. Like it, food is is supposed to be pleasurable. Like all those yeah. things are true. And I read this thing on Instagram the other day and I really remember, I wish I remember who said it because this was not my original thought. It was like either a therapist or a nutritionist. And they said that if we treated, treating food as only fuel, and like this is the only purpose for it, would be the same as treating sex only for reproduction, mm. right? Like if we only engaged in sex for reproductive purposes, not for pleasure. That is the same as us saying that food is only for fuel. And I was like, oh my gosh, Yes, right? Great analogy. I'm like, that's a perfect analogy. And like food is supposed to be pleasurable and enjoyable. And to your point, like life is supposed to be lived. And also life is really short and Mm -hmm. not to be morbid, but I always try to remember that we don't know, like nothing's promised. We don't know how much time we have. And at the end of our lives on our deathbed, I don't think the things that we're thinking about is like, remember that you know, summer in 2016, I had flat abs. I was looking the best. I looked so great. Like that is not the thing we're going to be thinking of. We are going to be, and and nor are our loved ones going to remember us in that way. We're going to be thinking about the memories we shared, the, the love that we shared, the experiences that we had together. And I think the more that we can remind ourselves of that, the easier it is to let go of diet culture, to really break up with diet culture and to lean into like liberation. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that emphasis on having the experiences we want to have and creating memories because how we look is so unimportant. And I think that sometimes we can really be very critical of when our bodies evolve. How many people want to wear the clothes they wore when they were younger, had the body they had when they were a teenager or before they had a baby or whatever. And it's like, we're not those people anymore. That's no. <laughs> literally not, you are no longer that person. And being firmly rooted in who you are and where you are now is just, it's critical if you're going to be happy and present and sane. And and you're 100% right, Les, and that's so important because I think two things. Number one is like, we are going to have a hundred different or more different iterations of our body throughout our lifetime. Like bodies change. That is literally what they're designed to do. Right. And, but then somehow we get to this point where we're like, okay, this is the body I like. And I want it to just stay this way. And the reality is we can't control that. And it's not meant to stay one way, like truly isn't. And, and you talked about like wanting to be the same way you were in high school. And I remember for the longest time I had these pair of jeans that like were my in my mind was like the idea of when I was the right size, but I got these jeans when I was like 17, right? But well into my 20s, I kept yo-yo dieting to get myself back into those jeans. And I kept those jeans because like those were the indicator of when I was in the right body. Mm-hmm. And then finally, like when I was like working through all of my trauma and body with my body image and like really working to heal that and repair that, I had this realization that it's like I am now 27. Why am I trying to wear jeans when I was 17? And like some people, maybe they can. That was not my story. And my body was not supposed to be my grown ass 27-year-old body Mm -hmm. was not meant to fit in my 17-year-old jeans. 
And so going back to your point, it's like our body goes through all these amazing, you know, some of us birth children, like some of us, we do all these amazing things in life and we go through all these different variations and iterations of life. It would be so sad to be stuck in this place of like, I want to go back to this other version of myself instead of being able to say like, wow, my body is so amazing because it's it's taking me through all these different things in life and it's still here and it's thriving and like being able to appreciate it in every iteration. Yes, 100%. I would also love to talk about body image, particularly conversations around body image for Black women. And you touch on this in the book, almost this misconception that Black women and girls don't struggle with body image or don't either have eating disorders or disordered habits because the the face of what we often see in terms of people talking about body image or maybe having disordered habits it's usually not us and how that can affect things like people getting the treatment they need and the the help that they need. Can we talk a little bit about why our concerns and struggles in that area are minimized and what we can do to ensure that that doesn't happen and so that we get the care we need? Absolutely. So I think the short answer to why our issues and concerns are minimized I goes back to racism and white supremacy, right? And so um, unfortunately, when we're talking about healthcare and medical practitioners, so many of those individuals have not worked through their own implicit biases, right? And so they, they're projecting the things that they, their own biases onto us as we like are seeking help. Also, I think, in, as you already stated, like the face of eating disorders are like white women, right? White young girls and thin body, especially people, mm-hmm. right? So even people in larger bodies, can absolutely have eating disorders, but because they're in a large body, it's seen as like they can't have an eating disorder because they're not skinny. And that's just not the truth, right? But again, these are the biases that people have, but really has a very harmful impact on people getting the treatment that they need. I think also, unfortunately, in the Black community, and I'm making this as my experience, right? Everyone will have their own experience. But my experience is that when I've had conversations, especially with like family around just like eating disorders, around like body image issues, it's been like, like, that's like a white girl thing, right? Like I have had like people in my life not even take that seriously as an issue that Black women deal with. And that's simply just not true. Um, And I think the more we make those kind of stereotypes and don't take these conversations seriously, the more harmful the impact is for Black for all Black people, but Black women, as I'm talking to, is my experience, that are dealing with body image issues that even would feel comfortable going forward and asking for help because they feel like maybe that's something they shouldn't be struggling with Mm -hmm. because it's not normalized as an experience that, yes, all women, Black women, brown women are having these issues as well. And so I think when it comes to getting the help we need, is the same as like getting the help we need when we're facing medical issues. We have to really advocate for ourselves because unfortunately racism exists and it has such a negative impact sometimes on the care that we receive. So really having to advocate hard for ourselves, which is so unfair, right? It's so unfair that to be in a position where you're struggling with something and then also have to be like really extra, be the advocate for yourself to make sure you get the help that you need um, is super challenging. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, in a, an additional layer to challenge there, and I don't think that all medical care providers are like this, But I do think in the area of medicine, there can also be a lot of fat phobia and still a lot of emphasis on things like BMI or not taking people's health concerns seriously because of their weight. And that probably doesn't help. 
No, it does not help. And you are 100% right. Like the BMI, we know that the BMI scale is inherently racist, right? Like that's a pretty common knowledge at this point, but it is still widely used. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it causes so many problems because again, you go to your healthcare provider and you're talking about a particular issue that you're having, whether it be around body image or eating, disordered eating habits or all these things, or it be about another medical issue. And the first thing people unfortunately, the first thing a lot of doctors say is you just need to lose weight, right? And that's where the conversation ends. And a lot of times that is not the, most of the time, right? That's not the issue. There's something underlying, there's something way more going on. And, And even like, you know, going back to this conversation of Ozempic, you know, on the TikTok, you know, rabbit hole that I've gone on. <laughs> um, it's so easy to do. <laughs> so it's so easy to do. But there is this woman telling about talking about her experience with Ozempic. And she said she had a bad experience in the end, but she said that she literally went to her doctor to say, I, I'm really struggling with like negative eating habits. I'm struggling with disordered eating habits. I feel really out of control. I feel like I need I need some help. And the doctor was like, oh, no problem. Prescribe the Mozambic, right? And didn't ask any other questions. And and again, this person ended up having a very bad experience with it. But the person was like, I went there because I needed some type of help because I was really struggling with this disordered eating patterns. And they just described me a weight loss pill. And that never got at the root of my issues. Right. And potentially could have just created more issues depending on- It did, yes. Yes. And in the end, it created more issues for the person. And, and and so that's what we're speaking to, right? It's like you go to the doctor like, oh, you need to lose weight. Let me fix this thing for you and send you on your way. It's so disheartening because even as we were just talking about sometimes just getting up and being able to advocate for yourself and get the appointment and jump through the hoops and do all of those things is already so hard that to do it and then be met with that, which is so common, especially for our community to often be met with that and not get the care we need. Just, it's frustrating. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, it's also discouraging because it's like, okay, maybe it it doesn't even feel like it's worth it sometimes. right? Right. Because you're like, I'm already struggling. I'm dealing with this. And like, now I have to do all this emotional labor just to try to get the help that I need. And when you're met with like, opposition, sometimes it's just like, okay, I don't have the capacity to deal with this. Right. Exactly. We've talked about these two things separately, but I I would love to talk a little bit more about the intersection of racism and diet culture, because I think maybe on the surface for a, a a lot of folks who may not be thinking about it, those things may seem totally different. But they intersect in a lot of ways. And I feel like you of all people just explain it so beautifully, the ways that they intersect. So can we talk a little bit more about the overlap between those two things? Absolutely. There's so, there's so much interlap between diet culture and racism and fat phobia. I already explained like diet culture is like basically this culture that idealizes and worships thinness, right? As a way of being. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about even this idea of thinness, this idea of thinness is white supremacy and going back to slavery. And I always say before we even think about that, if we look back in time, there are so many periods in history in which living in a larger body was like seen as a positive thing. It was like a symbol of wealth, a symbol of status, right? So it's like, where along the lines did we decide that that's a bad thing? And it really goes back to um, slavery, actually. And Dr. Sabrina Strings has an amazing book called Fearing the Black Body, in which she explains this in so much detail much better than I do. And her work around this is amazing. But essentially, when we're going back to the inception of slavery and this 
need to create a racial hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. In which black people were not as high on the, the, the racial hierarchy. And so black slave enslaved people in larger bodies had different, you know, body types. That became this idea that being in a larger body, being fat was connected with laziness or not being smart or not being motivated, not being educated, all of these things. And so during that time period, when we're creating this system of white supremacy in which white people are at the top of the hierarchy, you want to be anything except for like the people who are at the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is where this idea that being in a smaller, petite, thin body was the ideal standard. And so that really formed the basis of how we got to this place in which a thinness was the ideal and fat is a bad thing. So the ties of fatness is inherently anti-Black. It's rooted in racism, white supremacy. And whether we know that history or not, that's the truth of like how we got to where we are today. Right. And those standards have never changed. And so when we think about diet culture, again, we're unlearning any narrative in our mm-hmm. lives, right? And we're trying to unlearn things. When we start to realize the inception of a lot of these things, and we realize that these things are inherently racist, are inherently anti-Black, it's like that's when we have to say, okay, I need to... I need to also unlearn all of these ideas and decolonize my mind about bodies, decolonize my mind about all the things that I thought I knew. And so, so much of this work also always goes back to the practice of unlearning and dismantling white supremacy in our lives because white supremacy has really literally wreaked havoc on every area of our lives. And I think especially when it comes to bodies, what we can say is like, or we can think about the fact that like, of course, white supremacy hurts some of us more than others. Those of us in black and brown bodies are definitely the most hurt by white supremacy, but it also hurts white folks too, right? Because white folks are also struggling with our bodies mm-hmm. based on a system that they created, even if they don't know that. Yeah, yeah. that's re- I think the TikTok almond mom content is a prime example of that and yes. people's children showing how how they're impacted by yes. that behavior. Absolutely. It's it's like when we hear people say things like why do you have to bring race into it because it's in everything. It lit- and it's always so funny to me when be like why do you have to bring race into this? Like y'all created this system. We didn't ask for that, this. That too. <laughs> that too. Y'all are the creators of this. And it, we have to talk about it because it's a part of our identity and it's part of the way that we exist in the world and it has a real impact on the way we experience the world. Exactly. The way we all experience the world. And I also yes. I have a theory that people who have issues when those things are talked about only have an issue when it comes to talking about dismantling it, but in yes. continuing to uphold the beliefs that are to their advantage. I mean, they can continue on with that all day long, but- Absolutely. And I think this is, again, not to get too off topic, but this is one of the problems with white feminism, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we want to dismantle the patriarchy because that focuses on men and male male perspective, which is true, dismantle the patriarchy, but the patriarchy is a result of white supremacy. So let's focus on dismantling white supremacy because then as a white woman, you are also part of the problem. You are also responsible for dismantling. It's not just pointing to other people. It's like, oh, me, how am I also part of dismantling the system? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think as the fact that we're all parts of the system, I mean, we all have yes. a responsibility to dismantle it in different ways. Every single one of us. And like, and I say that too for myself as a black woman, like, mm-hmm. 
I'm always uncovering anti-blackness that's showing up in my life, right? Because I'm not immune because I was socialized in a white supremacist society as well, an anti-black society. So I also have to do the work of dismantling and unlearning those things in my life and and being like willing to go there with myself about the the ideologies that I have that don't really serve us all. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way and am often confronting myself with the same same things and and acknowledging and confronting so many of the privileges that I have. Yes, absolutely. All the time. Yeah. And so much of this. It's very real. So body liberation is really at the center of what you do. It's obviously also the title of the book. I would love to talk about the difference between body liberation and body positivity. Can we get into that? Yes, I would love to get into that. Um, So (laughs) I have so much to say on this topic. So I'll start with body positivity. And I think body positivity essentially is just the belief system that all bodies, regardless of size, you know, gender, skin color, race, ethnicity, all those things, all bodies are deserving and worthy of respect, appreciation and gratitude, and that we should all be able to love our bodies, all the things, right? And I think that body positivity is a really great introduction to thinking about our body in a different way. So I think it's super important. However, caveat here is that the the body positivity space is really started and founded by fat black and brown women as a space to celebrate themselves because we didn't see ourselves represented in mainstream or mainstream ideas of beauty or beauty standards. And so that was really the creation of the movement. And, you know, as I spoke to a little bit earlier, it has definitely become a little bit mm, commercialized, a little bit co-opted, a little bit popularized by people who weren't necessarily created to be the center of the movement, right? So unfortunately, it's been co-opted by a lot of thin white women who are, you know, taking pictures in the mirror, holding a little bit of belly fat or showcasing their stretch marks and saying, hashtag body positivity, I still love myself. And um, I know I think it's really important to just say that there, you know, everybody, I, I think everybody, there is space for everyone to be a part of the movement. But I think it's really important to know when you're taking up too much space and something that you weren't created to be the center of. And I think it's also really important to know that there's a big difference between I have a personal body image issue, which all of us, you know, have issues like, yes. But that's very different from living in a body that is systemically oppressed because of the way it looks, right? And so we get those two things conflated sometimes. And so it's like, yes, you could have, you know, stretch marks that you don't like and be struggling to like embrace all parts of yourself. Yes. And also that is very different from living in a black body or a trans body or a fat body and facing systemic oppression because of your body, right? Yeah, I think the body positivity movement has lost some of its, by no fault of people who created it, but has lost some of its um, focus on the social justice aspect, Mm -hmm. which is like, are we centering the people who are the most marginalized among us? And I think also it's become like very hyper-focused on this idea of self-love, right? You just like love your body and just like appreciate your body. And listen, I'm a self-love advocate. I think falling in love with yourself is like the greatest love story of all time. I constantly say that. However, it's also important to acknowledge that it doesn't matter how much a person loves themselves, that doesn't save them from experiencing harm in the world. Yeah. And so we have to also acknowledge, we have to go farther than just saying, I love myself. It has to be, okay, and how are we working to dismantle systems so that all of us can exist in the world freely and safe in our skin, right? 
So I think that's really important. So I love the body positivity space, though, as a space to introduce us to thinking about our bodies differently. And then I think we have to take the conversation a little bit further. I love the way you framed that, that it's like, it's a good start. It's yes. a step. Yes. And then we we got to take more steps. <laughs> yes, it's a journey. It's a journey, right? So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna stay on the journey. Um, and then when I talk about body liberation, there's so many things to say about body liberation. For me, one of the things about body liberation is understanding that at our essence and our core. Our bodies truly are just the shell that we exist in. It is truly just the thing that is allowing us to have this human experience. Um, it's also the understanding, like at a deep visceral level, that our bodies are inherently worthy. We are inherently worthy because we exist, mm-hmm. not because of what we look like. So I truly believe on a deep level that our looks are the least interesting thing about us. And I also think that when we're talking about body liberation, it's also this understanding that the goal is not to be able to look in the mirror and love everything I see, because that's just honestly, if I'm being truthful, that's not realistic. But it's being able to say, regardless of that, I know that I'm still worthy because that, yeah. again, that's just the thing that's this this thing, this vessel is just allowing me to have this human experience. Right. And so when, when we really lean into liberation, it really, that word liberation is freedom, right? It really gives us the freedom to exist in our bodies, to be present, to experience, and to understand that our purpose and our work in this world is not, it has nothing to do with this vessel that we're residing in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That also made me think about what we were talking about earlier, just in allowing our bodies to change and evolve too. That's part of the danger of, I think, if we go so hard and like the, I love my body right now, but what happens in a few years when my body is a little bit different? Okay, I loved, I was, went so hard for that version, but what about the future version? I'm so glad you just said that because I talked about in the book that the other, the goal of liberation is to be able to say, I love my body in all of the iterations mm-hmm. because they're always going to be, there's always going to be another iteration. And that is the reality of living a life and of living life. And again, it's like the sooner we can just like accept that as a reality, yeah, like the easier this all becomes. Yeah. So it sounds like body neutrality plays a really big role in our, in at least individual body liberation. Yeah, I think, and I think about like the steps, right, towards liberation. So mm-hmm. I feel like, yes, body positivity, and then we're going along on our journey. And we, a lot of us get to li- body neutrality, which is super important because I, I think it's one of the things that I think is challenging for people in the body positivity space is like if you are in the depths of despair about the way you look, and someone is like, just look in the mirror and say these positive affirmations, I'm telling you that is not the thing that is going to set you free. Because yeah. oftentimes what happens is like, oh, I everyone else is able to just do those affirmations that helps them, but I can't even do that. So now it's like another thing for me to feel like I'm failing at. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unrealistic for ourselves to expect ourselves to be able to just jump from hating my body to all of a sudden loving it or to feeling free in it. Like that is just too big of a jump for most of us. So we work towards this place of body neutrality, which in body neutrality is like, I'm not even looking in the mirror and saying, I love myself. I'm looking the body in the mirror and saying, this is the body I exist in today. And that's just it, right? And the goal is to, you know, hopefully not be able to make those disparaging comments about ourselves. And so there's those mean things that we sometimes say to ourselves and just say, okay, this is the body I exist in today. And, you know, going back to the other thing that you just pointed out about bodies changing is like also this hyperfixation on health is also based on this idea of control, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we eat the right things, if we exercise right, we can control what happens with our body, not just physically, but also in terms of like 
illness and chronic illness, right? And so it's this idea of control. But the reality of all of this is that we really don't have control. And so this also, this this, the important part of body liberation is also this acceptance that our bodies may not always operate the same way in terms of like its ability to move in certain ways. Like those things can all change too. And so if and when those things change, how are we able to still be at peace with ourselves? And that's Mm -hmm. where liberation comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea of being at peace. And I'm almost, as you were talking, was thinking about like our minds as a piece of real estate and almost as, as little real estate as thoughts about our bodies and how they look, (laughs) the better. Like you want it to take up as little space as possible in either direction. I am shaking my head like vigorously <laughs> because yes, that's exactly it. Like the idea that our mind, our body is just taking up so little space. And it's so important because again, when I look back to the times I was hyper-focused on exercise, I was hyper-focused on nutrition, I was hyper-focused on shrinking my body. I had no brain space left over to really create anything in the world. Like that was right. my, it drained all of my energy. Yes. And the more I was able to free that up, the more I was able to create all these other amazing things in my life. And I say this time and time again, I would not be doing the things I'm doing today if it wasn't for me repairing my relationship with my body because I did not have the space to create anything outside of maintaining my body. Yes, I am aggressively shaking my head. And something that I think about a lot, especially for Black women, because we spend a lot of time and energy on a lot of things and I understand why we do, and I'm not exempting myself from this. When I think about the amount of time I maintain my hair and amount of time I spend freaking out so that I don't mess up my hair or spend time on this and spend time on that, I'm like, wow, if I were able to direct my energy elsewhere, if we all were able to direct our energy elsewhere, we would be moving mountains literally moving mountains, <laughs> right? I spent eight hours getting my braids done on Sunday. So I relate to this very heavily, right? Yeah. And I think, so I totally agree. And I think for all of us, I think about, and, you know, I talk about this in the book. It's like, once we free up this energy that we're spending about, you know, thinking about our bodies and all obsessing about our bodies, when we free up that energy, like think of all the things and yeah. the the systems that millions of liberated people can create in the world when we have freed up our minds, right? That is also like what is so insidious about diet, diet culture and the patriarchy, right? It's because it keeps us distracted. It keeps yes. our energy drained. Right. And I just imagine a world in which we are all free and liberated and we are directing that energy to create massive change in the world in really positive and meaningful ways. Oh, I have chills. I would love to see it. <laughs> Me too. I mean, and like, I think, yeah, I just think we all need to get free. That's it. (laughs) Absolutely. What are some of your practices that you turn to, to help you feel more liberated and free? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This is such a great question. In terms of my body or just in life in general? Both. Whichever whichever comes to mind first. Um, So for my body, I think one of the things that has been so important for me over the years is leaning back into a movement practice that is based on joy Mm -hmm. and not on this desire to like get my body in shape or demand my body to be a certain way. Because I, I love fitness. I love movement. I love a practice that's centered on movement. But part of being free and being liberated has, again, going back to like, what does my body want to do today? What does my body desire? And so I used to be, and we didn't even talk about this today, but 
I used to be in competitive powerlifting. This is when mm-hmm. I was like really exercising obsessively and I would spend three hours in the gym, like, like training. Um, and it served me at that time, but I just don't, I don't want to be doing that anymore. You yeah. know, so I still strength train, but it's like the 45 minutes. That's all I got for you. And it's great. And then some days I don't feel like strength training and I'm like, I want to just take a walk in the neighborhood and get fresh air. And some days I want to dance and some days I want to, you know, wh- whatever. And just like really allowing myself to see movement as something that brings my life joy and to really lean into that. Yeah. So that's been super liberating for me when I think about my relationship with food to really be in a place where I just eat food based on what I my body desires and, mm-hmm. and what I want to eat and what feels nourishing to me and to like really be again feel like I'm connected to my body's desires and able to trust myself that has been so freeing liberating and I talk about this story in the book, you know, going to Spain a few years ago with a group of people I didn't know and just realizing that moment, like how far my relationship had come with yeah. liberation, because yeah. previously that would have like, as we already talked about, that would have really threw me off to like have to spend a week in another country with people I didn't know, not being able to control every single thing that I ate. That would have been a disaster. I probably wouldn't even gone, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But when I went this time with these friends and it was just so beautiful because I was like having all this amazing food and drinking wine and like having just like the best of the best in terms of food and feeling so good about it. Just like really enjoying it. Never having any moments of like, I'm eating too much. I'm overindulging. I got to exercise more. And like that in itself, like being in a place where you can just experience and, and, and share meals with people and not worry about those things is liberating. Like that is just, it's, it's like, I, I don't even have the words to describe how good that feels yes. to be able to do that. So uh, that's been really important for me. I think on a personal note, things that have really been helping me liberate myself, and these are things I'm, I'm still working on, is number one, um, I would say is letting go of things that don't serve me anymore, mm-hmm. letting go of people that don't serve me anymore, letting yeah. go of relationships that don't serve me anymore, um, and just being really firm in the fact that I am not willing to settle in a- any area of my life. And that as much as you love people, sometimes they cannot go on the journey with you. And that is a harsh reality. It's hard, right? Like letting go of relationships or letting go of situations that you care for or love deeply, but you know that it's just not, it's not aligned with who you are now is hard, but it's like one of the best practices that I've done for myself. And so that's way that I have really stepped into personal liberation. And then I think the other thing I would say is the, the, the more sure I become of who I am, the more okay I am with people not liking me and or Mm -hmm. not understanding me, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think about just decisions I made over the past few years that even my family didn't always understand, right? Leaving a long-term partner who was a great person, moving across the country, leaving my corporate job, things that people didn't get, but I knew it's what I had to do for myself. And when I look back at those decisions and where I am now, it was exactly what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, the more I trust my own intuition, the more I'm okay with people not understanding my decisions. And that is very liberating. (laughs) 100. I mean, okay. So for those of you listening who may not know Chrissy, Chrissy is in her manifestation bag. Like I've never (laughs) seen anything like manifestation the way you do it. It's been incredible to witness you step into this iteration of your life as it is now, because these are all intentions that you set and to see where you were before and where you are now and to have witnessed that journey is has been incredible. Oh, uh, thank you. And I mean, 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and and I mean, less is not wrong. I feel like I'm really great at manifesting, but I think so much of it has also been because I have been able to master the skill of detaching from things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not like in a in a in a, deta- a healthy detachment from mm-hmm. things, and that has really served me well. Yes. Well, thank you so much for just sharing those those pieces of of what's aided your liberation. Because I think that kind of helps us all get some ideas of ways that we can continue investing in our liberation. And the more of us that feel liberated, the more liberated we are as a collective. So thank you. Thank you. So one more thing before we wrap up today, you know, the theme of the, of this month on the podcast is book club, like all month long, we're featuring authors and I want to talk about reading and, and writing and, the relationship that you have with reading and writing and the role that those things play in your life, because you are a reader and a writer through and through. Why are reading and writing so important for you? And how have those things aided in your liberation? Oh, I love this question. Also, I'm inspired by you, Les, because I'm like, Les stays with a book. And <laughs> I love it. Like, also gives me so many good suggestions of what to read next. I'm like, okay, I, if I'm questioned, go to Les's page. She's going to tell me what to read. Um, so I love that. But in terms of what role reading and writing has played in my life, when I was a child, I spent all of my free time going to my local library to rent books and writing stories. And we used to have, I was homeschooled for a really long time. And I went to school in the third grade. It's like when I went to a traditional school. And in my third grade class, there was like always a reading contest every month. I'm like, oh, I, this is my jam. I am going to shine. (laughs) Funny story. One of my best friends in third grade, we were, you know, it was a reading contest and it was like an individual contest. I, this is how hardcore I was about reading and doing well at these contests. My friend, I was reading with her one day after school and she was flipping through the pages way too fast. And I was like, there's no way she's reading these pages. She's cheating. I turned her in, y'all. I went to the you teacher the snitching? next day and snitched. Oh and I my said, listen, goodness. I was watching her. She was flipping those pages. And you just need to confront her. I told the teacher to just confront her because she's not being honest. And the teacher didn't. She started crying. Like she admitted that she was like cheating. And I was like, I had to do it. Oh, because I, I know. I was a snitch, y'all. I was a snitch. Okay. But I'm sorry, but I just picture like, I feel like if I were that teacher, and a student came up and said that, I would have to like visibly conceal my laughter. I'm it's sure. Like, because to a third grader, that is very serious. Yes. But, you know, as adults, it's she was. I'm hilarious. sure she laughed at it. I was like, confront her. She is going to break down. I was like, be the bad cop. Be the bad cop. And she's going to just – and she broke down in tears. And I'm not – it wasn't my proudest moment, but I, that's how serious I was about reading and winning the contest. So, no, I've really always – like valued reading and writing. And I, and I like, yeah, as a child, I was like, I'm going to be a writer when I grow up. And then I went to college and I just thought like that wasn't practical. So I totally got away from writing. So, but reading has always been something that was so fundamental in my life. And I think I went through a stage in my twenties where I was like reading just like self-help books way too much. And I was like, what is this? What am I doing? And I remember 2019, I had a lot of things going on. Um, my dad had just passed away unexpectedly. I needed like a relief from life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I should read a fiction book again. And I read um, An American Marriage. It was beautiful, such a beautiful book. And th- that really brought me back to my space of like loving to read fiction as like 
self-care and just like as entertainment, all the things. And so that really brought me back to like, oh, wow, I love reading stories so much. Um, And then I started blogging again because I was like into the fitness world and that was what everyone was supposed to do. But I feel like all those things brought me back to like the thing that I love to do, which is reading and writing and 100% informs what I'm doing now. And I just... I, I just love books. I love I love books. I love yeah. bookstores. I love libraries. I love words. I love learning. I love exploring. Um, and I just think words are so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just want to like go back to this and highlight it really quick, how you had mentioned that you had wanted to be a writer, felt like, oh, it's not practical. But what are you now? But now, yeah, and that's the thing. It's like a full time writer. A full time (laughs) writer. It's such a full circle moment. And again, I just go back to like this idea that I truly believe like life is always leading us where we're supposed to go. We just Mm -hmm. follow that next step, follow that intuitive hit that we don't even understand. And it's like slowly leading us back to where we were always meant to be. And also, I think, you know, always reminding myself that you, you can't actually like, get off course from the, you you can get off course from what you maybe are intended to do in this world but you can't miss out on something right like yeah. life always brings you back to what you were supposed to be doing and so i always remind myself it's like i'm not missing out on anything i'm doing exactly what i'm supposed to be doing and and it is never i'm i'm 37 years old i moved across the country when i was 33 i like completely changed courses and direction my life and there was never an age at which it is too late to change corrections or change directions to start over to do something new like there's just never a time line for that like there's always time that is a word that is a whole word i hope everybody lets that sink in a bit because it's so true it's so true. All of those things are detours, but we're never actually off course. Sometimes we can take the long way. Yes. <laughs> and we got to, you know, make our way back around. But I'm also a big fan of the idea that we decide what's realistic for us. Absolutely. And when we decide what's realistic for us without outside influences, we would be amazed at where that can take us. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Yes. Yes. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much. As usual, amazing conversation with you. Congratulations again. Happy book launch day. Please let us know where we can get your new book, The Body Liberation Project, and how we can continue supporting you and your work. Absolutely. Thank you, Les, for having me. Every time I talk to you, it's like the most amazing conversations. I just really appreciate you. (laughs) Yes, it's my book's birthday. So you can um, buy my book on, on my website, chrissyking.com backslash book or anywhere books are sold. You can pick it up and you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm all the same. I am Chrissy King and my website is chrissyking.com. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Les. This was such an honor. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. I loved our conversation today and I appreciate you. As I said earlier, I always love having Chrissy on the show, and she was actually the very first person I ever interviewed for Balanced Black Girl or interviewed at all. So definitely check out the past interviews we did with her to hear more of her story, and make sure you check out The Body Liberation Project. It is such a beautiful and necessary book, and I'm so grateful that Chrissy brought it into the world. 
head to the show notes for more information about today's episode, links to Chrissy's socials and her new book, The Body Liberation Project, and for some discount codes from our sponsors. This month, Allo Moves is sponsoring the podcast, offering a one-month free trial and 50% off a membership after the trial ends using the code BALANCED, which is an amazing deal. So huge thanks to Allo Moves for sponsoring the show, to Chrissy for joining us, and to you for listening. Next week, I'm joined by LaVon Briggs to celebrate the launch of her new book, Sensual Faith. And when I tell you our conversation with LaVon is nourishing, healing, affirming, it is a must listen. So you need to come back next Tuesday and tap in because it's that good. So I will see you next week.